Well, church, for the last nine weeks, we have been in the little book of First John. And we've been, as we've been spending all summer in First John, even though it only has five chapters, we've been working through it quite slowly, right? I hope you've noticed that as we've been working through this book, even though it's short, it is jam-packed with some profound truths, challenging truths. And we're reading it slowly because sometimes when you read the Bible quickly, maybe some of you have read the Bible in, in a huge chunks over the course of a year, trying to get through as much of it as you can. That's wonderful. There's a time for that. But sometimes when you read the Bible quickly, you miss out on some of the deep parts, some of the rich parts that are there. So it's also important to learn how to savor the scriptures, how to read the Bible slowly and, and allow the scriptures to begin to dwell in you. And that's what we've been trying to do all summer long. We've been trying to read through this short little book of 1 John slowly. There's a time to read it quickly and a time to read it slowly. And that's what we've been trying to do this summer, to read it slowly. So we're going to move along right here. We're in the, the fourth chapter now of 1 John. We've taken two months to get through four, to, just to get through four chapters. The uh, chapter 4, we're going to be beginning in verse 7. If you brought your Bibles, please open it up. Um, if you want to use your, a phone or a, a digital device to follow along, please do that as well. But no matter how it is, make sure that you're li paying attention, listening attentively to what God is saying through 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, starting with verse 7. John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how, we this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. So John has talked about love quite a bit in this letter. If you've been with us, you've probably noticed there's been lots of points where he brings up the topic of love. He, he started talking a lot about Christian love. The Greek word is agape, agape love, a lot in chapter 3, just one chapter before. And here in chapter 4, he's going a whole lot deeper on this topic. In fact, I don't know how many of you were counting, but John used the word love in what I just read. You ready for this? 27 times. 
Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and count it instead of paying attention. I dare, I, I dare you. 27 times he used that word love in what I just read. Now, we're going to be talking about three main topics as we work through this text together. We're going to be talking about the source of love, the definition of love, and the result of love. All right? The source of love, the definition of love, and the result of love. So first, let's take a look at the source of love. Take a look at verses 7 and 8 again. If you're, if you're opening your Bible, verses 7 and 8. Here's what John wrote at the very beginning of this passage. He said, dear friends, let us love one another. Why? For love comes where? From God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Now, these opening verses are ultimately the focus of the entire section. John starts off this, this whole section with this imperative, right? Love one another. It's, this is what it's all about. Love one another. And then for the rest of this text, John is making his case why Christians ought to love one another, right? He's not just saying, here's a command and you, got, you just got to do it because you want to do it. Here's a command, and then the rest of this passage, I'm going to explain to you why this is so important to love one another. John first explains that love for others is evidence that someone knows God in the first place. Go ahead, look, look at verses 7 and 8 again, right? Love for others is evidence that, that someone knows God in the first place. He says there, it, it start at the end of verse 7, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Do you hear that? If you are born of God, if you really know God, then the way that you're going to see that is by, by, by love for others. Whoever does not love does not know God. So what does it mean to know God? Knowing God means having this deep and abiding relationship with God. Now, I, I say this a lot. But I say it a lot because it, it matters. It's important. There's, this, there's a huge difference between knowing God and knowing about God. Many people can sometimes go through their whole life going to church, be, call themselves Christians, but they don't know God. They just know about God. Now, knowing about God is really, really important, okay? It, it's important to know the things about who God is and about what the Bible says and all of the types of factual information, but those things are different than actually knowing God personally. Knowing God is about having this deep and intimate relationship with God, not just knowing information about him, right? Rachel, my wife, she doesn't want me to just know things about her, which I probably need to learn more, but... She wants it to go deeper than that, right? And so do we, all of you. You don't want just people to know something about you. You want to be known. Well, God doesn't want you to just know things about him. He wants you to know him on a deep and intimate level. Knowing about God focuses on information only. It's about facts. It's about Bible trivia. Knowing God focuses on a relationship built on love. John is saying that the proof that you actually know God, as crazy as it sounds, is actually seen in how you love others. The proof that you actually know God is seen in how you lo love others. And the reason, says John, is because love comes from God. John is explaining the source of love. The ability to actually show agape Christian love, the essence of love, the motivation of love, all of it, any aspect of what it means to show Christian love, all of it comes from God. And so if we really know God, then we will naturally love others because we are in a relationship with God. We are connected to the source of love itself. 
If we actually know God, we are naturally going to love others because when we are loving others, it's a sign that we're connected to the source of love itself. Now, that's the source of love. Love comes from God. But then John actually goes even deeper by talking about what, he, what I'm calling the definition of love. He, he explains that love comes from God, but then at the very end of verse 8, he makes this radical statement. Oh, it's, it's, it's ridiculously how, how ridiculous how radical this statement is. Why does love come from God? Somebody might ask, right? Okay, so love comes from God. Well, why, John? Why does love come from God? And he says it there at 1 John 4, 8, B. Very end. Three words, he says, because God is love. Why does love come from God? Because God is love. I mean, if you're working through your, the, the, your Bible, circle this little phrase, God is love. John has just raised the stakes, so to speak. He's saying that God isn't only the source of love. It's not just that, you know, love comes from God. He goes even farther than that. John is saying that God is actually love itself. The reason love comes from God is because God himself is the very essence of love. And so everything that God does and everything that God is... Is actually love. I, I love this quote from uh, a biblical scholar named C.H. Dodd, it, which kind of wraps it up. Ra- wraps it up well. He says, "To say God is love implies that all His activity is loving activity. If He creates, He creates in love. If He rules, He rules in love. If He judges, He judges in love." All that he does is the expression of his nature, which is to love. Now, I know what some of you probably are thinking. Some of you might be sitting there thinking like, okay, okay, Pastor Ben, but come on. We use this word love all the time in our culture. What do you actually mean when you say the word love? Right? We talked about it with the kids. You can say you love pizza and you can say you love God. What, what the heck is the difference between the two? And we see love all the time, every TV show, every commercial, you name it, right? Love is just sort of a buzzword. All you need is love, said some four famous singers sometime, right? So what is love? What do you mean by love? This is a really important question because John's understanding of love goes so much deeper than what most of us probably think or or even feel or even the way that we use that word love. You see, when the church, when the Bible, when God talks about love, We're not talking about just having these warm, fuzzy feelings towards somebody, okay? Even though that's not bad. We're not talking about chasing after your heart's desire like some Disney movies version of love, okay? Which that could be good or bad, depending on your desire. We're not even talking, we're we're not even talking about just seeking the good of another person. Even though that's really good to do. But the, the love that John is talking about here is something that goes so much deeper than all of those things. He defines what he means by love. He defines it for us in verses 9 to 11. Take a look at those verses. He says, this is how God, and remember, God is love, this is how God showed love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Friends, God so loved us, so we also ought to love one another. If you're, if you're working through your, your, your Bible, you know, circle the word sacrifice there in verse 10. Because right, 
that's kind of the, what, the, what John's getting at, at the heart of love here. The heart of Christian love is seen in the way that God sent Christ as a sacrifice for you and I for our sins. Now, John's already talked about this earlier in the letter. He talked about this in uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, actually, if you want to take a look at that. But, but here, he, again, he's going deeper on the subject. He's introduced all of these topics, and he's going deeper. He sa- he's basically saying, look, if you want to know what I mean by love, if you want to know the kind of love that I'm talking about, take a look at what God did for us. Take a look at the sacrifice of Jesus. That is love. The identity of love is God. The definition of love is God sacrificing himself for us. His willingness to come towards us, not to walk away, but to come towards us and to rescue us out of the situations in which we've made for ourselves, out of our sin and our mess and and everything else that we've done in our lives as we've rebelled against God. God doesn't just wait around for us to get our lives in perfect order. He comes in the fullness of time to sacrifice himself substituting himself, to giving himself to death in our place so that you and I could actually have life. The definition of Christian love is the sacrifice of Jesus. So what does that then mean for you and I? Three things. As we're called to love one another and love one another in the way of Jesus, the first thing that we have to admit is that Christian love is sacrificial. Christian love is always sacrificial. If you are loving another person as a Christian, it means that you are going to be somehow sacrificing something important for the sake of that other person. When you are showing Christian love to another person, it is going to involve some form of sacrifice. Which is another way of saying that Christian love is always going to hurt a little bit. It's not easy. It's going to be uncomfortable. Just just accept that. When you love another person, you are going way beyond just being kind. (laughs) You might end up sacrificing your reputation because you're loving somebody that everybody else thinks is a lunatic or is written off or thinks should have no no time that you should not be wasting your time with. You might sacrifice your productivity because you're choosing to spend time with somebody and, and you can't get everything else that you want to get done, done. You might have to sacrifice your control. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? Because you have to let go of what the outcome might be. You have to love somebody, even if you can't control what, what they do with that love. You might have to sacrifice your security by choosing to spend time or to love somebody who might even make you feel a little bit nervous or means you have to take a risk or, or means that you might have to let go of some of your preconceived ideas or notions about who this person is or what they think or, or who they are. To love others means you are probably going to be inconvenienced. You are not going to always get your to-do list done and you are sacrificing time and energy to pray and be with that person. Christian love is sacrificial through and through. It's not just that. Christian love is also action-oriented. John said this earlier in his letter, actually. He said this in verse uh, 318. He said, children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Do you hear that? Chapter 3, verse 18. Let us not love with words or speech only, but with actions and in truth. 
So Christian love is action-oriented. You, you can see it. When somebody is showing Christian love, it's visible. You live it out. It's a verb. I mean, think of it this way. John just told us the definition of, of Christian love is ultimately seen in what God did for us through the person of Jesus. God didn't just say that he loves the world. He did something about it. He sent his one and only begotten son as a sacrifice for our sins. It was an action. Jesus didn't just say that he loves sinners. He went to them and ate meals with them in their homes. He didn't just say that he loves somebody. He lived it out. So likewise, you and I, we can't just say that we love somebody. We can't just say that we love others. We can't just say that we love so-and-so or that all people are, or that I always love all people or whatever the case may be. You can't just say it. You've got to actually live it out, back it up with actions. Christian love is action-oriented. And this actually leads right into the third idea of what we say when we say Christian love. Christian love is proactive. So what we mean by that is this. God didn't just wait around until we deserved his love. He'd be waiting a long time, right? No, God takes the first step. He initiates it. He came to us. He loved us first. And so likewise, if you are living out Christian love towards another person, you take the first step. You don't just wait around until, you know, that person gets their act together and now it's time to try to show love towards them. No, you take that first sacrificial, action-oriented step towards love. So recap, what is Christian love? What does John mean when he's talking about Christian love? He's talking about something that is sacrificial, action-oriented, and proactive. And we see all of this in God's love for us through the sacrifice of Jesus. And all of this then leads us right into the result of love. As we are living out these, these things, uh, as we are living out this reality of what it means to love others and love God, we enter into the result of love. John explains what happens when love is truly taking residence in our life. Take a look at verses 17 and 18. Here's where John really gets at the details here. 17 and 18. Once love has been made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgments. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. John says that love gives us confidence on the day of judgment. Now, what is he talking about here? Judgment is referring to the day when we will all stand before God and God will declare whether or not we are worthy to be in his presence and live with him forever. That, that ought to strike a, a reverent fear in us, right? A sense of, wow, there will be a day when we stand before in the presence of God and God will declare whether or not we have truly committed our lives to him through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, knowing this, as I said, knowing that that will be the case can fill many people with fear, but not a reverent fear, but more of a, an unholy, anxious fear. This, this fear of, oh no, what if God is going to punish me for my sins? What if God's going to condemn me to hell? What, what if I'm not worthy enough? What if I didn't do enough? What if, and on, 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 right? But John is saying, hold on. If love has fully taken residence in your life, if you've really experienced the love of God, if you really know God, 
you have no reason to fear. Even though you know this day is coming. Because you don't have to wonder whether or not God will condemn you. As someone who is, who is a believer, if you know God, and God is love, and so you also love others, then this fear of God's punishment is actually not going to be in you. We looked at this a couple weeks ago, right? John is adamant about trying to show Christians that you can indeed have assurance of your salvation. You can indeed know that you know God. And you do not, therefore, you don't need to fear God's punishment on Judgment Day because knowing God's love for you has driven out all fear of that punishment. You can have assurance that you are indeed loved by God. Now, this doesn't mean that you're never going to experience fear in the world. Sometimes people take this verse and they use it to try to show that, you know, you should never be afraid of something. That's not the case. That's not what John is talking about. It's okay to feel fear about various things in the world. It's healthy to feel fear about certain things in this world. Fear is a natural human emotion. What John is talking about is that you can live a life without the fear of condemnation. You can live a life not worried about what God is going to do on Judgment Day. You see, the worst thing that could happen to any human being is to be condemned by God and be eternally separated from him. But believers have a confidence that they will not be condemned by God. They will not be separated from God on Judgment Day. They will be declared righteous and forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ and will live with God forever. And therefore, if you can have confidence, so follow this thought, if you can have confidence over that future event, then you can have confidence no matter what the future holds. You can even have confidence in the face of death because you're not afraid of condemnation. You can have confidence in the face of sickness because you're not afraid of condemnation. You can have confidence in the face of loss, of divorce, of unemployment, of financial ruin, of health challenges, of loneliness, and so on and so forth because you are not afraid of condemnation. The Apostle Paul, he, he actually writes about this in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. The, we're going to take a look at the first verse, the middle verse, and the last verse. Not, not, not going to read the whole chapter, but you're going to see that what, what Paul writes in this famous chapter is right in line with what John is talking about, with the love of God, with no condemnation, and with no longer living in fear. Take a look at what Paul writes in Romans 8. He says, therefore, there is now what? No condemnation. Why? For, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And they jump into verse 15. The spirit who you received when you came to know Christ does not make you slaves so that you live in what? Fear. Rather, the spirit brought about you your adoption to son, sonship. And then, then Paul undergirds this whole argument out of what? All the way to the end of this chapter, he says, why? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from, say it with me, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see how all of these themes are connected? When you personally know and experience the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord, then you will naturally extend that same love to others. And you do that because you know you're loved by God and you are living without fear of condemnation because you know that the love of God has driven out that fear. And ultimately then, John takes this and, and ultimately says, look, let me just summarize it, says John. And he says it in verse 19. He says, let me just, this is how I'm going to summarize this whole passage. This is what I'm trying to get at. Verse 19, we love because 
He first loved us. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he actually said that that verse right there, verse 19, is the sum of all religion. We love because God loves us. Why do Christians wake up early, get out of bed, go serve people who may not even give you a thank you? Because God loves us. Why do you bother tutoring kids in your community who other people are writing off and say that they aren't worth it? Because God loves us. Why do you spend hours helping a young man who's struggling with mental illness? Because God loves us. Why do you bother doing the hard work of forgiving your spouse when they say those hurtful things to you? Because God loves us. Why do you give up 10% of your income when you could spend it on yourself or others? Because God loves us. Why do you spend time with people that you find disgusting? Because God loves us. Why do you bother to build relationships with people and to tell them the good news of Jesus? Because God loves us. On and on and on and on. The sum of all religion is because God loves us first. Now as I wrap up this sermon, I need to leave you with a warning. Do not let what John has said about loving others just be about information to you. At the end of the day, this is not about information. It's about people. This passage should be bringing people to your mind. People that you know. People who drive you crazy. People you passionately disagree with. So let me ask you this. To whom is God calling you to show Christian love? Who? Put a name to it. Who is the person that God is calling you to show Christian love? Hold that person in your mind right now. Think about them. Force yourself to. Confront it. It could be a family member. It could be a rebellious child. It could be a spouse. It could be a colleague who wants you fired. It could be a boss who just does not understand you. It could be a coworker who drives you crazy. It could be a neighbor that you just don't agree with. It could be, so, it could be somebody on the other side of the political aisle. It could be somebody that you actually find repulsive when you try to think about who they are. And maybe you find yourself struggling right now even thinking about loving this person. Well, remember, Christian love is going to make you feel uncomfortable. It will push you outside your comfort zone. It will challenge you to identify ways to sacrifice. It will nudge you in places you don't want to go. You will feel the resistance of showing Christian love towards others every single time. And every single time when you do it, you will discover life on the other side. Every single time. Because remind yourself of this, as often as you have to confront the challenges of Christian love, remind yourself of this, you will only find the strength to love others, and whoever those people are that you're thinking about right now, you will not be able to love them on your own power. You will only find the strength to love others when you yourself 
have first come to know and rely on God's love for you. Take a look at verse 16. John writes, we know and rely on what? The love of God has for us. Imagine, just imagine if we were a church that fully embraced what the scriptures were commanding us to do when it comes to love one another. Imagine if we were a church that was so passionately filled with the love of God that we so radically knew God and experienced the love of God for others through sacrifice and action. Imagine. It just might, just might change people's lives and from there change the world. Amen.